Hey there, thanks for joining our church family at the cross. We pray that this message speaks to your soul and brings you many blessings. We want to take a second and make sure you stay up to date on all things the cross. So please head over to our website, thecross.family. Here is where you can subscribe to our newsletter, check out our ministries, and get plugged in. Okay, here's the latest message from the Cross Church. We are diving into a brand new series. Um, It is called, What is Love? We are going to try to answer that question over the next couple of weeks. And what we want to do is is we want to have a little bit of fun before we dive into the sermon every single week. So what we're going to do is is we're going to throw a famous quote onto the screen. I don't think that there is a topic that has been discussed, debated, written about, sang about more, movies made about more than love. We love love. So here's what we got. I've got a little prize for you this morning. Love is a $15 Starbucks gift card. Um, This will get you one filter black coffee. Small, no wings. Coffee, (laughs) that's quite expensive to go there. So I've got this for the first person that can tell me um, where these words come from. And Chris Burns is not allowed to participate this morning. Um, I'm disqualifying him, but throw it on the screen. It says, there's nothing you can know that isn't known, nothing you can see that isn't shown. There's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy, easy. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. The Musos. I know. The Musos. Where is that from? The Beatles. The Beatles, ladies and gentlemen. So there we go. Congratulations. Okay, so hang on. Hang on. Bonus round. It's the Beatles. It's obviously a song. What is the name of the song? It's easy. Oh, we're close. Chris, I know you know this. Uh, Chris is out. Chris is out. This also so happens to be the title of my message today, and it is... All you need is love. All you need is love. This is from the famous song from the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. And today, as we dive into Scripture, we are going to see that Paul actually affirms this message. Not Paul McCartney, Paul (laughs) the Apostle. um, Affirms this message. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we are going to see a beautiful, beautiful clarification of what love actually is. And that's really the goal of this series over the next couple of weeks. We're going to dive into what love is, um, and we are going to be camping out in 1 Corinthians 13. Before we go there, though, I want to kind of give you just a little bit of an overview of what is happening in this book. Um, What's happening is, is Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he started the church, and as he goes about his missions work, He leaves Corinth, and now they send out letters to him saying there are problems in the church. Hallelujah. There's been problems in the church for before we can remember, right? So, Paul, uh, you started this thing, but now we got problems. We need you to address some of these problems. And in this book in Corinthians, Paul is addressing some of the practical problems that they are facing and that they are dealing with within the church. Um, Some of the things that Paul is going to be tackling is division. Paul is going to be talking about food. Hallelujah. Food is love. Um, 
Paul is going to be speaking about sex in this book, a little controversial. Paul is going to be speaking about the gathering. Paul is even going to be speaking about the resurrection. So in this book, Paul tackles all these different topics. And one of the things that I love about reading these letters is sometimes we can get into this headspace where we believe that the problems we are facing today are brand new problems. Nobody has ever faced the things that we are facing before ever. We are the first unique, special people to deal with some of these things. And then when you see they've dealt with some of this stuff for a long, long time and how we see Paul attack it practically, it's very refreshing to read. Now, what Paul does for the most part in this letter is he has this way of always identifying a problem and then he connects the gospel to the problem. He's got a very smart, clever way of always bringing gospel into the situation. And then what Paul will do is, is he will say, listen, you can't say that you believe this and then behave like this. If the gospel says this, and we are Christians and we believe in the gospel, then our behavior and our actions should be reflected in this way. So Paul has this beautiful way of always showing us that not only should the gospel transform us, but when we believe the gospel, that belief should transform our actions, right? So Paul goes through all these different things. He finally gets to this moment in the book where he speaks about the fact that we all have gifts and talents. And he speaks about it, and he speaks about the fact that we've got to work together as the church. We've got to be in unity. And then Paul goes on to say that none of it can work if the motivation and the heart behind everything we do is not rooted in love. Paul is essentially saying all we need is love. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3, check this out. Paul says it in such a beautiful way. Um, and we're going to read the first three verses of this portion, and that's where we're going to camp out today. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You can have faith that moves mountains, says Paul. But if you do not have love, you are nothing. He carries on. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Uh, Pastor Jacob was telling me that one translation says it this way. It says that you can have all the gifts in the world. You can have all the talent in the world. You can have all the wealth in the world. You can have faith to move mountains. You can sacrifice everything you have. But if you don't have love, you are bankrupt, it says, which is absolutely beautiful. So here we are this morning, and I think we can all agree that both Pauls are telling us the same thing. We need love. Without love, we're toast. It's all about love, 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 love. So what's the problem? Why are we struggling? What is so complicated? What is so difficult? Why are we not seeing all of this happening the way it should happen? 
I believe that if I had to go out into the streets of Mount Dora today and conduct a little survey and ask people if love is the most important thing, every person is going to tell me that love is the most important thing. So how is it then that we can all agree collectively as a society that love is the most important thing, yet there is so much hate and there is so much division? You see, what Paul McCartney tells us is that all we need is love, but what he fails to do is define what real, true love really is, right? It's very broad. We are told that love is important, but we are not necessarily told what love is. We are told that love is important, but we are not necessarily told where our affections should go. What should we love? What should we hold dear? What should we sacrifice ourselves for? As I look around culture, I see all kinds of different things going on in all kinds of different places. I see movements that completely contradict one another, but at the same time, they will proclaim that their motive behind everything that they do is love. Two teenagers will send each other nudes, and they will say it's because of love. I'm back in youth ministry. You older people probably don't understand what that even means. It's bad. Just take my word for it. Um, it's not a good thing. Um, we will find a young man willing to sacrifice his life or blow himself up even for his faith, for his country, for his family. He will do that under the guise of love. I love my children, but I absolutely also love pizza, ladies and gentlemen. So this seems incredibly broad. It seems incredibly wide. How can all of this fall under the guise of love? So this morning, I think we can all agree that love is important. I think we can all agree that we need love, but we've got to get more clarity around what biblical love actually looks like because it is powerful and we owe it to love to know what love is all about. I remember the first time I went to a shooting range, um, and I know what you're thinking, you should never be allowed at a shooting range, <laughs> should be laws against you going to a place like that, and you're 100% correct, I really should not be there, um, but I'll never forget, the guy handed me what looked like not such a powerful gun, but it turned out to be quite a powerful gun, and I grew up watching Rambo and all these movies, so I was so pumped to have this thing. So he hands the gun over to me, and as he gives it to me, I kind of do like a bang, bang, like I've got this thing, and he's like, whoa, stop everything. And he immediately took the gun back from me. He then rebuked me and said to me, my 12-year-old is more responsible with that thing than you are. And he said the following to me, he said to me, so before we do anything else, we've got to lay some ground rules. Number one, you never point that thing at me, ever. I will destroy you if you point that thing at me ever again. Number two, you don't point that thing at anybody else. Number three, you do not point that thing at yourself. It is powerful force that you've got in your hands there. You have got to know where you are pointing it. And I believe the same about love today. I believe that love is a powerful force. And as a foundation for the series, we're going to dive into where should we be pointing our love? 
Where should our affections be going? And I think if we can get clarity around that question, I think we'll have a deeper understanding of what love really is. So good news for us is that Jesus brings absolute clarity as to where our love should go. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40, Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What is my purpose? What is my calling? Why was I put on this planet? What is it all about? What is the secret to a prosperous life? They asked Jesus. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these Two commandments. In this powerful exchange, Jesus gives us some insights today as to where love should be directed. And Jesus tells us in the most clarity we could ever hope for that as people, we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our might and with all our strength. That is what we are called to do. That is what our purpose is. That is what our true worship looks like. We are called into a love relationship with the Creator. So today what I would like to do over the next couple of minutes is I want to define this for us a little bit more clearly. I want to dive into what it means for us to truly love God. What are some of the hurdles? Uh, What are some of the struggles? What are some of the things that we might struggle with in our affections towards Him? But there's a couple of things that we need to understand that if we are going to love God truly with all of our hearts, with all of our might, there are a couple of other things we have to make sure are in place on the way as well. So first thing we're going to look at is from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah dives in and he says this, Isaiah 6 verse 3, Holy, 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 is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. The Bible says it over and over again. It declares it that the God we serve, the God we worship, the God we love is a holy God. He is a perfect God. He is an almighty God. He is a flawless God. What does it mean when we say God is holy? God's holiness means that he is separated from sin and devoted to seeking his own honor. Holiness is challenging to describe because it means other, different, separate, transcendent above his creation. God is holy because he is eternal. He was never created, but is the creator and sustainer of all things. There is nothing on this earth in all of creation that is comparable to God. God is holy. Therefore, loving God means respecting His holiness. If we are going to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, we are going to have to respect the fact that God is in fact holy. Therefore, God is perfect. 
This is one of those things that sounds really good on a Sunday morning when we're speaking about it. And as I say, God is holy. I think we can all agree. And I see a lot of heads going, yes, we agree with what you're saying. But I actually think that this is one of the most difficult things for a lot of us when it comes to our Christian faith. When we say God is holy, we are saying that God is perfect. When we're saying God is perfect, it means that God's word is perfect. It means that God's laws are perfect. It means that all of God is perfect, even the parts that we don't understand or the parts that offend us. You see, I am a, I'm seeing a trend in the time that we are living in. And one of the things that I'm seeing is, is that we've got the Old Testament, we've got the New Testament, and then we've got my Testament, right? We are busy writing our own third Testaments. And what I mean by this is I see people will look at the Old Testament and they'll go, ooh, David Goliath, I'll definitely take that one. Tick, sounds good. Job, shh, shh, let's... Uh, Blot that one out. We're not going to search time on that, right? Then we go to the New Testament and we see Jesus say things like, I have come, I am the Savior, I am the land that takes away the sin from the world. Beautiful. If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. <laughs> and what we end up with is this unbelievable third book that comprises of our greatest hits of God, what God should be, what God could be, and what we want Him to be. You know, what ends up happening is, as we go, we love God, and we want to serve God, and we want to live for God. I just don't like this, and if we just change that, a little bit of paint, a little bit of trim, a little bit of this, a little bit of shiplap, and really what you have at the end of it is yourself as God. And you go, this is perfect, a match made in heaven. But I want to say to you and I want to declare to you this morning that we cannot love God with all of us without respecting His holiness. We have to fear the Lord's holiness. We need to understand that He is bigger and greater and higher. Now, let me, let me say this to you. We don't always need to understand it. And I don't know that we always need to like it. But we need to respect it, we need to acknowledge it, and we need to submit ourselves to it. There are things in God's Word that is going to rub you the wrong way. And listen to me, hear me. This is what's so great about being the greatest sinner in the room. There's nothing you haven't done that I haven't done before you. So it's great. I know exactly where you're hiding. I know exactly what you're doing because I was there, right? And one of the things that's going to happen is, is there's going to come moments in God's Word where you're going to encounter things and you're going to go... I don't like that, but this is what you're going to say. It's unfair. This is unfair. I don't like this. It's unfair. So I'm either going to ignore it, explain it away, skip over it, or even worse, declare that he is unholy. And I'm seeing it happen in the culture where we are getting to certain portions of Scripture and we are saying, not only do I disagree with this, but you are actually unholy. I will give you just a simple, broad illustration of what I'm talking about. What one of these topics is the topic of hell, right? 
Um, it's not one we like to address. It's not one we like to talk about too much. It's not something we like to dig into too much. This idea that there is an eternal separation for some from God is an idea that seems harsh. It's an idea that seems unfair. It's something that if I were God, I probably wouldn't do it that way. But that is the point I am unholy and he is holy. And I don't need to understand everything he's laying out, but I do need to respect that he is higher and he is holy and he is righteous. And it is my job to submit under that righteousness. Um, I think a good way to illustrate this is through food because food is always the best way to illustrate things. Um, But I remember some years ago when we lived in Cape Town, in South Africa, my wife and I wanted to go dine at this very good restaurant. It was one of the best restaurants in Cape Town. It was sort of renowned as a good place. The chef was renowned as one of the best chefs in Cape Town. And then we did the worst thing any married couple can do in any situation, and that is bring our little children along for the ride. Leave them at home. That's why you have a mortgage. Leave them there, right? Get a guard dog, leave them at the house, go have a good life. Um, So we get to this restaurant and it's super fancy. And the first thing the kids want to know is, where's the mac and cheese on the menu? And where's the chicken nuggets? And I'm like, this is not McDonald's. This is like one of the nicest restaurants in Cape Town. This is one of the best chefs in the world, for crying out loud. It is an absolute privilege for us to be here. They don't have chicken nuggets on the menu. Well, my favorite food is chicken nuggets. I know because you're a kid and you don't know what you're talking about, correct? And I'll never forget the way the story ended. I believe we left there after paying a million dollars. And I think then we actually stopped at a McDonald's on the way home because our children were hungry. If I had conducted an interview with my children at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, we are here this morning with Vanessa Crossman. Vanessa, what do you think of that restaurant renowned as one of the best restaurants in the world? I think it's awful. I think it's terrible. I think the food is terrible, but I want to tell you what, McDonald's chicken nuggets, that's where it's at, right? Problem is this, their little taste buds have not evolved to the place yet where they can understand what good food really is. It's not about the restaurant and it's not about the chef. It's about the people eating the food that have not evolved to the place where they understand what good cuisine is. And I believe that God's holiness is very similar to us sitting in a Michelin five-star restaurant critiquing the menu going, where are the chicken nuggets, right? It is way beyond what we can comprehend. It is way beyond what we can understand. So our responsibility is not to try to understand all of it, but our responsibility is to honor God and respect Him as holy and submit to all of who He is. Let's move on here this morning. Next thing I want to touch on is actually very similar to the first thing. And uh, let me read you a passage of Scripture here in Isaiah 45, verses 7 to 9. Isaiah is getting a little bit of love this morning, but listen to this. This is, this is a beautiful portion of scripture. It is terrifying though. It says this, I form the light and create the darkness, says the Lord. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all things. 
You heavens above, rain down my righteousness. Let the cloud shower it down. Let the earth open wide. Let salvation spring up. Let righteousness flourish with it. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to those who quarrel with their maker. Those who are nothing but pots herds. I'm going to be very real with you today. I have no idea what a pots herd is. Potsherd. Ah, okay. A piece of pottery. Okay, that would have been easier. I'm not a piece of pottery. Um, (laughs) Among the potsherds on the ground, does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? First thing we need to do if we're going to love the Lord our God with all our strength is we need to respect His holiness. The second thing is, is we need to rely on His sovereignty. We need to rely on His sovereignty. We need to trust in His sovereignty. There are going to be moments within Scripture where you're going to find things that you disagree with. It's in those moments where we are going to have to respect His holiness. There are going to be times within your life where things are going to happen to you that you're not going to understand and you're not going to be happy with. But it is in those moments where we need to rely on His sovereignty. I can honestly say to you this morning that not everything always works out the way we plan. Bad things happen. Good things happen. Average things happen. Life can be quite unpredictable. And in this portion of Scripture, the Bible tells us that God is somehow in control of all of it. On the one hand, that sounds absolutely fantastic. But on the other hand, that comes with some problems. Because if you are over all of it, and some of the things that have happened to me have happened to me, then you are responsible for some of the things that have happened to me. How is that possible? How could you have allowed it? What were you thinking when some of the stuff was happening? And if we're not careful, very quickly we find ourselves in a position where we allow the things that have happened to us to dictate what we believe and what we trust and what we want to know about the Lord. The Bible says that He is in control of everything. I have come to realize in my own life that it's not simply about making peace with the fact that God is sovereign, but it's about relying and trusting in His sovereignty. I cannot tell you how often in my life when I reflect back, I can think of a moment where I was praying and I was trusting God for something very specific, only for it not to happen, only for me to look back years later and to realize had that thing I was hoping and trusting for actually happened, it would have absolutely destroyed me. You see, the advantage God has above us is not only that He's holy, but God is eternal. And He looks at everything outside of the scope of space and time. When we go through some of the things we are going through, we are only seeing it and experiencing it in the context of the moment, in the context of this life. God, on the other hand, is in a position where He is seeing it from the perspective of eternity. Um, I'm going to throw a name at you this morning that you've probably heard before, but the name is Bethany Hamilton. Bethany Hamilton uh, was 13 years old when she went for a surf in Hawaii, beautiful Hawaii. Bethany was a, uh, a young lady who was an aspiring surfing champion. 
She was raised in a good Christian home. They loved the ocean. They loved the outdoors. They loved being active. And one day, Bethany was out surfing. And while she was out surfing, a great white shark came along and bit her left arm right off, clean off. Um, She came extremely close to bleeding out. They had to drag her out of the ocean. They had to resuscitate her on the beach. They had to get her to a hospital. And I cannot think of anything quite as terrifying as a situation where somebody that's an aspiring surfer, someone that loves the ocean, finds themselves in a place where now they're fighting for their life because they are in a horrific shark attack. If we stop the story right here in in Bethany Hamilton's life, we stop the story right there. We press pause on the timeline and we kick Loki out of the equation. Right there, we pause it, right? What we have is nothing but heartbreak and disaster. What we have is a young girl that probably will never go back into the ocean again. What we have is a young girl that most probably has lost her faith. What we have is a young girl that might never surf again, let alone be a surfing champion. But luckily for us, the story does not end there and we press play and we fast forward to today. And I can tell you today that Bethany Hamilton is arguably one of the most famous surfers of all time. She has gone on to win many championships and she has appeared on television shows that include The Amazing Race, The Biggest Loser, 2020, Good Morning America, Inside Edition, The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Ellen Show, The Today Show, The Tonight Show, Dude Perfect is the big one that she's uh, appeared on. Um, She's also been in magazines that include Time Magazine, People Magazine, American Girl Magazine, and she was in the first ever issue of Nine Magazine. There are movies that have been made about her life. She has gone on from that dramatic, stressful moment, and her life has become absolutely influential. She has helped millions of people around the world with her story. She has helped millions of people around the world with her faith. And now when we sort of zoom out on the story, and we're not just zooming in on 13-year-old Bethany Hamilton on that day when that shark attacked her, but we zoom out to 20 years later, we see that God in a way that only God can do took a disastrous situation and he worked it for her good. And not only did he work it for her good, but he has put her in a position where she can be a light, where she can be an example, where she is actually affecting and changing people's lives. Can you imagine what God can do in an eternity when it comes to your redemption story? Right? Think about this for a minute. In 20 years in this life, God had the ability to turn that story around completely. Imagine zooming out all the way to eternity and think about the things that God is capable of doing with your story. Some of us will not experience that redemption in this life, but he is working on your behalf. He is moving things in the way that he should. Romans 8.28 says this, One of my favorite portions of scripture, it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Our God has a way of taking all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the miserable, the despicable. He can take all of it and he can work it for our good. Loving God means that we respect his holiness 
Loving God means that we rely upon His sovereignty. And then last but not least this morning, loving God means we receive His grace. We receive His grace. We touched on this a little bit last week, and we said that uh, God's love is like kinetic energy. It touches us, and then it transforms us, and then it changes us. We cannot love God without God's love. I think this is one of the biggest things I see within the faith. This is one of the biggest things I see Christians struggle with is we cannot even attempt to love God without God's love. It is His love for us that empowers us and equips us to do everything else He is calling us to do. So how do we love Him with all of our heart, with all of our strength, with all of our mind? We have to receive His love for us. I'm going to ask the band to come to the front. And uh, I don't know why, but we've just been in Isaiah a lot today. So I decided we would stay in Isaiah. And I want to show you a beautiful picture of what this looks like. Um, Look at this picture of what God's love for us looks like and what it does for us. Isaiah 6 verses 1 to 8. And Isaiah has this vision And listen to what it says here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah says, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. Right? And we see such a beautiful progression here of where Isaiah is put in a place where he gets given a vision of the Lord and the Lord's holiness. God gifts Isaiah with this moment where he gets to experience God's presence. He gets to experience God's ferocious love. He gets to experience God's intense holiness. Isaiah's response at this point is the appropriate response. And he goes, I am not worthy to be in your presence. I cannot stand in your company. I am a sinful man. I've got sinful words on my lips. That is the correct response when we get into this holiness of the Lord. And the next thing that happens is, is God touches him. He cannot reach out to touch God. He cannot be where God is. So God touches his mouth. He heals him. He forgives him. He sanctifies him. And as that happens, Isaiah can declare now, now, Lord, that you have forgiven me, that you have washed me, that you have redeemed me. Now, Lord, I can love you. Now, Lord, I can run for you. Now, Lord, I can be a mouthpiece for you. And I believe the absolute truth is the same for us today. Let's stand in this place.
Jesus is the hot coal that God uses to touch our lives. He is the one that comes and sanctifies us and redeems us and changes us. Jesus is the one that puts us in a position to love God. Jesus is the one that puts us in a position to respect His holiness. Jesus is the one that puts us in a position to rely on God's sovereignty. Jesus is the one that puts us in a place to receive God's forgiveness. This morning, the key to understanding love, the key to living in love, the key to loving God is found in the person of Christ Jesus. It is only in Him and it is only through Him that we can truly experience love. Father, I want to thank you this morning for Jesus. I want to thank you for all of those that declare his goodness, that rely upon him. Father, I thank you this morning that as we believe the gospel and repent, Father, we shall be saved. I thank you, Lord, for who you are, Lord, this week. I pray that as we go, I thank you, Lord, that we see you in everything. We trust in you in everything. Help us, Father, be the light in the darkness. We love you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We will continue next week on this awesome series. If you need any further prayer, we would love to pray with you this morning. Go and have a wonderful week. God bless.